0: Amen. Hey, we are once again in our study, World Religions, Colts and the Alcohol, Bobby's back in action. Number 13. And John, what's the tagline? The Untold untold History of the Charismatic Movement. We'll move you up closer next week. We'll get you some binoculars and you'll be able to have the gift of interpretation with my writing. But anyway, that's right. Uh, the, uh, The Untold History of the Charismatic Movement. And by way of a recap, we've already dealt with an intro, a disclaimer. I'm not saying everybody again who's involved in the charismatic movement is a part of a the occult or occult, I'm not saying that, but there's some disturbing behavior that's encouraging cults and occultic behavior as well. That's what we're dealing with. We also saw that there's a myth, a couple different myths. The charismatic movement is nothing new. That's old-fashioned Montanism, as we saw before. It's not some new movement of God. It's just been rehashed. Okay, it's not coming from God, that ab- aberrant behavior. We also saw that speaking in gibberish is never the biblical thing. The issue of speaking in the gift of languages Uh, often called tongues, okay, it's always been a known language, okay, the gibberish comes from the occult and other uh, religions around the world, which are not of God, then we begin the journey on the actual spiritual gifts themselves, and we begin to ask ourselves, when do we get the gifts? At salvation, we saw, who gives the gifts? We're going to see it again, Lord willing, tonight, the Holy Spirit, as he wills, how do I identify my gift? That's the big issue, it's not just, I got a gift, you know, what is it, you know, and uh, we pray, it's self-evident, you explore, it needs to be equipped, etc. And then finally, what are the gifts? Now, we saw that the gifts are technically in two different categories, okay? We saw that some are permanent, they're still in effect today, but some of them are temporary, also known as the sign gifts, okay? And not just the gifts, but also, as we saw in the book of Ephesians, some of the offices are also uh, temporary as well. But as we can see there uh, in the offices, you have the, what's it? The five-fold ministry It's really the four. It's the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, that is teacher. It's really pastor, teacher. So that's four, not five. Okay, technically. But as we saw the apostle and the prophet, that's not in function today. Why? Because we are resistant to the new movement of God. No, because their mission was apostolos, the prophet, was to bring forth a new revelation of God. They were sent forth on a commission to let people know the new covenant, the new uh, revelation. Well, guess what? That's done. It's all recorded first. So guess what? You don't need those offices anymore. Right. That's what we're dealing with here today. And that's the danger we saw when you uh, do that. uh, You open up Pandora's box because now you're saying that you basically need a new Bible, a new New Testament. If you think those offices are in function today. Then we saw the first of the gift was the gift of prophecy. And we saw that, if you will, the double no-no there is much of the charismatic community wants to say that the gift of prophecy is like foretelling the future. And that's not at all what it means. It means proclaiming God's already revealed revelation, i.e. the uh, the, the God's Bible, the Bible. Uh, But also they would want to confuse that with the office of a prophet. And so it's like neither one. No, 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 no. But what we saw last week, the whole study was when you get that wrong, you give rise to a whole bunch of what? False prophets. And isn't it interesting that the Bible, Matthew 24, 2 Peter chapter 2, said that in the last days, false teachers, false prophets specifically would come. Jesus repeatedly said, don't let anybody deceive you. Unfortunately, he said many people will. And, and we saw, well, isn't it interesting that how in the last days we're warned about false prophets. And then here in the last days, you have people saying that these office, this office continues today and just in time for the last days. Okay, that's where we left off last time. Now, we're going to continue our journey on the gifts. Okay, and uh, to do that, let's recap the biblical basis for the gifts, the legitimate gifts. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and we're going to take a look at the legitimate gifts. Then we're going to scoot over to 1 Corinthians 12. Take a look at those passages. Again, Ephesians 4, we're not going to read that again like we did before, because that's dealing with the offices. We're looking at the gifts Okay, not the offices, okay? But let's take a look. Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 8 is the first part there. It says we have different gifts, okay, uh, according to what? The grace given to us. Who gives us grace? God. And then he begins to break it down. Well, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. Uh, If if it's uh, 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 serving, let him what? Serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, or some translations say exhortation, uh, let, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. It is showing mercy. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. All right, And then let's scoot over to 1 Corinthians 12. All right? Take it right there. 1 Corinthians 12, starting with verse 4. We're going to read 4 through 11, then we're going to pop down to 28. Right? Let's take a look. Here's the next batch. Okay. Now, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 says this. There's different kind of gifts, but the what? The same Spirit. He's the one that gives them. Now, there's different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There's different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them and all men. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for what? For yourself. It's all about you. It's about building yourself up. Because that's what... No, the gifts are for what? For the edification of the body. They're for other people, right? Now, to one, there's given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, he talks about miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. uh, There was gift of healings in there. To another, distinguishing between the spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues or languages. And still to another, the interpretation of those tongues or languages. All these are the work of the one and the same spirit. And what? He gives them to each one, just as he determines. Again, you could take a class. You could say whatever you want. Jump up and down. Do a coloring book, whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter. You're going to get the gifts that he wants. And he gives them when you get saved. All right Now, uh, one more there. Pop down to 28 says this. Now, in the church of God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having the gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with the gifts of ministration, and those, again, a repeat here of different kinds of tongues or in languages. So those are the classic passages dealing with... Uh, with the spiritual gifts, right? We see it here, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. You see that we have prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leadership, mercy. 1 Corinthians 12, you get the word of knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy again, distinguishing between the spirit speaking in tongues or languages, the interpretation of those tongues and languages. Then in 28, you see healings, helps, governments, and diversities, again, of tongues or languages. Now, again, we've already dealt with the issue for two weeks in a row, the gift of prophecy. We saw that that is from Prophet, It means a speaking forth, declaring the purposes of God, declaring the, the, the divine will of God, making known in any way the truth of God designed to influence people. How do you do that? And it's right here. It's when you teach what? This book, right? This is not some forecasting of the future. It's not some crystal ball. That's not what he's talking about. Okay, the gift of prophecy is declaring God's truth, okay, from the Bible, right? Now, the second one we're going to get into tonight is the gift of, and we're just going to go down the line starting with Romans 12, is the gift of serving, right? Uh, It could be uh, translated there as ministering, okay? It's basically the Greek word uh, diakonos, okay? Anybody guess what English word we get from that? A deacon, right? Uh, You've always wondered why they were called deacons, because we need somebody to deek. That's what it is. You just got a deacon, Jimmy. Do deacon, do deacon. No, no, uh, diaconos. Okay, uh, it it basically means a servant. That's really what it is. You're a servant. Jim's a great servant. He's a deacon, right? Uh, with that. Uh, but again, what you're going to see with this is the term deacon diaconos is used of the office of a deacon, but what we're talking about is the gift of serving. I.e., uh, you see what I'm saying? So again, don't confuse the two. Right, just because you have the gift of serving doesn't mean you're a deacon, but the name deacon means that you're a servant. Okay, so again, don't try to confuse the two, like unfortunately it goes on with the gift of prophecy. Okay? Uh, it's basically what he's talking about here is the serving gift. Okay, diakonos is what's used there. And it basically means again to wait on tables, like a waiter. And this is the person who has this gift. This is their mentality, right? Is they just want, they're waiting around for something to, to do. Now, is that a valuable gift in the body? Yeah. There's <laughs> always stuff to do in the church. So, man, praise God for those who have the gift of serving. Right? Okay. Uh, it's used when Jesus raised Peter's uh, wife's mother. What would that make her? Peter's mother-in-law. God loves everybody. But he raised Peter's wife's mother-in-law. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Hey, listen, my wife's got a great mother in law. Let me tell you. Let's move on. Uh <laughs> she's not here. Uh oh, shocker. Okay. Uh, but it says he raised her, and when she got up, remember she had the fever? And she got up and she what? She served him. It's actually she basically de them, is what she was going. That's what the word means. Okay. She she deaconed them. That's what it means. You get up and you, you serve. What do you need? How can I help you? Right? That's the word that's that's used here. It's used several places in the New Testament. And again, it's just to serve. It could it could be to provide a meal, like in this context. It's typically just basically any kind of menial service. You need to stack chairs, you need to move something, you need to help, need to serve a meal. Uh it, it might seem menial to us, but it's very important because all the gifts are important. All the gifts, they're different as we saw, but they all come from the same spirit. They all come from God, they're all valuable for the edification of the body. We need people, the body of Christ needs people who have the gift of serving. But the problem is, when it comes to serving, we have a very low view of it. We don't look at that as something that is valuable, that is beneath us, right? And the scripture says, if you got the gift of serving, you should be excited. Get busy using it. Get busy being that helper, right? right, okay. But anyway, we get the negative attitude when it comes to serving, like this guy. We've seen this before, but... Here's how we view this gift. Watch this.
1: Yeah, no, Christians, they
2: use language sometimes and like, like code. It's like it doesn't mean what we're saying. We have this, this phrase, servant's heart. You ever hear that phrase? Servant's heart. I hear that all the time. Tim, you got a servant's
3: heart, dude. You have got a servant's heart. See, I hate it when somebody says I got a servant's heart. It means they want me to start stacking chairs. You know. Servant's heart means you're a pushover and a loser. That's what servant's heart means. (laughs) Tim, you got a servant's heart. So's your mama. You know what I'm talking about? No. You got a servant. No. Bring it. Bring it. (laughs) Don't (laughs) time, (laughs) pal.
0: But that's the problem. See, we think of serving. Oh, they just want me to stack chairs. Or that's that's all you got for me to do is to help out this or move this or or go serve this meal. No, that's important we have that mentality and it messes it up the gift of serving is a valuable wonderful gift uh, that the body of christ needs okay it's an important service and again it's a, it's a general term right you can't just well it's only stacking chairs no it's any kind of service right uh, it's used commonly throughout the new testament in fact it's used about 75 times 75 times how many of you guys would say that that's very important 75 times Huge, wonderful gift uh, from God, okay? And there's all kinds of dimensions to it. And again, it, it, the, it could also be an office of a deacon, What's a deacon is, what's its stress? The deacon is a servant, right? That's their mentality. But again, we're talking about the gift of serving that the Holy Spirit gives, okay? And then again, we see how even the office of a deacon uh, uh, came about, Acts chapter six, right? And you have the, the apostles, right? They said, man, we're getting distracted from the main thing that we're called to do is to teach the word of God, right? And when they say, we need some men to what? To, to serve, right? And that's, that, that's basically what started the office of a deacon. But it was to what? And what was they, in Acts chapter 6, what were they serving? To, to meet the needs for the widows and helping out and stuff of that nature. And, and that's what you see in biblical leadership. You see that the pastor elders, right? For the spiritual needs of the body. And you see the deacons, You see them taking care of the practical needs of the body, right? It's not that a pastor elder couldn't stack chairs. That's not the issue. It's just, it's a matter of distribution, right? If you want me to stack chairs all day, then that's going to affect what? Just like it's going to take away from the primary thing that I'm called to do. And that is to teach the word of God, right? And so, so what's God do? He wants all the needs met. So what's he do? He gives various gifts. Do you see how it works? If you leave it alone, it works perfect. Right? But you've got to keep it in its biblical context, okay? And, and, and listen, the, the church is dependent on helpers, on the gift of serving, okay? In fact, many would say that what we saw there in 1 Corinthians, or, yeah, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, when it talks about the gift of helps, okay, that many would say that basically you're talking about the same gift that's mentioned here, okay? The gift of helps, because that's what you're doing. You're helping, you're serving, right? Uh, is going on there. Uh, it's the same thing. It, it, it could come again in a multitude of different ways. It's just whatever needs to be done. One guy says, listen, you could stuff envelopes, you could make phone calls, you could clean things, you could go to hospitals, uh, make calls and that. You, there's a myriad of things that could be done. There's absolutely no limit. Why? Because there's always something that needs to be done. Right? And because there's always something that needs to be done, my guess is that there's a lot of people that God has given the gift of service to, but because we have this selfish, self-centered attitude, in that we think that the church is here to serve us, the people who actually have that gift don't ever use it because they think it's beneath them. I'm not here to stack chairs. And then that's what another thing. I don't have time to get into. But in the gifts, you see, Paul, they were basically they were wanting the bigger gifts. Well, I want to be like the eye. No, I'm going to be the hand. He's... They're all needed. Right? The point is, whatever gifts you got, get busy using them, including the gift of serving. Right. And, 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 and dare I say, what's the old axiom that we have? 20% of people in the church do 100% of the work, while 80% of the people do what? Nothing. So uh, I'm just going to go out here on a limb. So God sees everything. He's omniscient. And he sees how many things need to be done in the church. There's all kinds of needs that need to be done. And he's the one who distributes the gifts. You mean to tell me That God sees that need and He made no plan for people to help out. No, I think there's a ton of people who have, who are born again, who go to church services, who have this gift, but they never use it. Because they've been tricked by society to not look at it biblically and see it as something absolutely valuable. And they think it's beneath them. And so who suffers? The church does. Okay, Paul says if you got the gift, you need to get busy serving. And the cool thing is, that's where the testimonies come in, man. That's where the divine appointments are. But you got to have eyesight. You gotta, how many guys remember that uh, the cartoon back in the day called Robots? You ever watch robots? All two of us, praise God. Well, my kids don't count. You watch it with me. Okay, there's four, give me four, give me five, give me five, give me, five, give me, five, give me six, 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 six. Yeah, I lost my calling as an auctioneer, but uh, as you know. <laughs> It just comes so naturally for some reason. Uh, but remember that show? What was the need? What was the big phrase in that, that show, the cartoon? See a need, fill a need. Yeah, it's been years. It was an old cartoon, right? It's almost like the Brady Bunch, apparently. Uh, but it's see a need, fill a need. But that's basically what it is. Paul's saying whatever your gift is, you see it, you get, use it. And certainly that would come from serving. Don't wait for somebody to ask you. You got the gift, you see a need. Fill it, do it, work it. I'll guarantee you there's tons of people who have this gift. But you don't have the eyesight to look around and see the need and just do it. And that's where it gets exciting because you start seeing needs met. You start seeing people lost and, and, and saved and they're being blessed and they're being encouraged by you serving them. That's not beneath you. That's a wonderful gift. Okay? You just have to have the eyesight to look around, see the need, and get busy using the gift. It's like this guy. Let's take a look. <sighs> that
4: kid, every time I'm pulling out, he's right there. Man, And someone needs to talk to his parents if they're ever at home. What is up with the traffic today? It's always, every day, this intersection's always crowded. I hate pulling out of here. Let me some these dumb roads. Oh, there's a... oh. <laughs> Okay, so I'm not even here. Right. <sighs> Great lady. The princess of parking. Oh, sure. Take the spot. Way to be considerate. Oh,
3: Are
4: you kidding me? Unbelievable. Oh. Thank you, ma'am. It's uh, about time. Let's see. What do I want? Uh, uh, yeah. Could I add a cookie to that order? Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Uh, no problem, only guy in the world. I'm sure you need your cookie. The world, your oyster. And he's serving your cookies. Thanks, thank, you, thank you so much. Uh-huh. What can I get for you? Uh, yeah, I'll tall, decaf macchiato. Yeah, sure, no problem. A 385
3: And uh, it might take a few minutes here. We've got quite a line, obviously. And thanks for your patience. Great.
4: Yeah. <laughs> Great. Great for me. When again. Unbelievable. What? What? What is... In the world. Oh. Uh, uh. What? What am I supposed to do? How can I? How can I do anything about that? C- can I even help with that? I don't. Your copy, sir. Oh. I can't. I can't take this anymore. I gotta get out of here.
3: Hey, what?
4: Buddy, come
0: here! Wow, that gift of serving is a valuable gift, isn't it? It's a way more than just stacking chairs. You just have to have the eyes to see that servant mentality. I'm fully convinced that again, the church is blessed. Any given body of Christ is blessed with a bunch of people who have the gifts of service. But we just need to get that eyesight back and realize how important this gift is. And if we really could, you know one thing we could do away with? We can get rid of those sign up sheets. We can get rid of those eighteenth time in a row. We've announced, could you please help with We got people beating down the doors because they see this is one of the most valuable gifts. See, Paul dealt with this before. uh, No, I want to be the preacher. I want to be the person that teaches. No, I want to be the evangelist, the guy that gets the big attention. We need these people big time. And do you see when you understand what it really is? This is an incredible gift. How could you downplay this thing? It could meet a multitude of needs here in the body, outside the body, if you would just look around. But that's a legitimate gift. That's in function for today, by the way. That one is not temporary. We still desperately need that. Now, the third one we're going to see there on the list is the gift of teaching. Okay, And that's what we see there. This gift obviously involves, listen, it's not just teaching, but it's a serious teaching, a systematic teaching. It involves the systematic proclamation of God's word, explaining the meaning, the context, the application of the hearer's life. The gifted teacher is the one who has the unique ability to clearly instruct, communicate God's knowledge and the doctrines of the faith, okay? Now, some people, they'll get confused with this gift. They'll say, well, what's the difference between teaching and preaching, right? Well, let me explain that for you, okay? Uh, teaching, of course, the Greek word didaskalos, Right? Where we get the word didache, meaning teaching, or didactic, referring to teaching, right? Is what's going on there. And it, it, it uh, speaks of a formal systematic training. This is not something willy nilly. This is a systematic formal training. It's used, Rob, you like this one? It's used of an example of, for instance, like training a choir over weeks and weeks until they've mastered what they've been trying and trained to learn and they're ready to perform. Rob his, didache Jew, you, right? right? But it's what? He just, th- he just randomly, every week, I don't know if you guys have been in the choir. It's just it's so, it's incredible. Rob just flies by the seat of his pants, man. There's no organization whatsoever. He just gets up there and he just throws a bunch of paper and, and it's just like, you sing whatever you want and I'll pipe in and you do. <laughs> Are you kidding me? One thing about Rob is systematic, right? There is an approach and one thing leads to the next thing which leads to the next thing and you work at this and all that stuff. That's what he's talking about here is with this gift of teaching, okay? Now, the gift of preaching, though, is different. It's more in uh, regards to a one-time proclamation, an announcement, a heralding, right? And things of that nature. But the gift of teaching that's being used here is a systematically training people in what? God's Word, right? Not pop psychology, not the opinions of other people, Right, Not relativism, whatever you believe is true to you. Whatever. It's not, that's not what it is. It is a systematic approach teaching to God's Word. Now, believe it or not, did you know there was a method, and is a method to my madness, even teaching here? Right. When I first got here on Wednesday nights, I took nothing for granted. I heard stories, I've been saved, Pastor Billy, for 918 years. And I don't care how long you've been saved. I'm taking nothing for granted. What do we start on Wednesday nights? Discipleship 101. Remember those days? And what was the very first thing we discussed on Discipleship 101? Salvation. How long were we in salvation for? Six weeks. I took nothing for granted. What is salvation? And then we began to move from there. Salvation, and then prayer, and then how do you even get into the Bible? Then then, uh, that was a whole year. Next year was Discipleship 102. What do we do? Now you got a little bit of a foundation. Taking nothing for granted, so we're all on the same page, systematically going through the words, going through doctrine. That's not a bad thing, right? And now we're going to lay some meat on that. Then we begin to get into some meatier topics like the deity of Christ, the Trinity, things of that nature, future events, you know, all that stuff. There's a method to the madness, and we continue on up to now where we can talk about rural religions, cults, and the occult. Now we got a basis to operate from. You see what I'm saying? But that's what this gift is. It's a gift of teaching systematically, Uh, Teaching people, and now, as we saw before, a pastor in the the fivefold ministry, which is really four, pastor that is teacher. It's the conjunction there ties it together. Pastor teacher. If you're going to be a pastor, an elder, a lead teaching elder, you have to have the gift of teaching. So a pastor has to have this gift. Okay, but somebody could have the gift of teaching. That doesn't mean you're automatically called to be a pastor, right? It could be. Just somebody who teaches a Sunday school class, right? Things of that nature, right? How many guys would say it's probably a good thing that not just the pastor, but anybody who is teaching the Word of God to anybody probably should have the gift of teaching? The problem is, we saw before many churches suffer from what I call the warm body syndrome. What's that? You moved? Okay, you're the one. You can teach. That's what? You read an article one time? You own a Bible? I haven't picked it up in 18 years, but hey, you've got a Bible. Let's get it. And we'll just throw anybody in there. And then you wonder why the church doesn't grow? Are you? Most Sunday school classes, not here, most Sunday school classes are about as spiritually in-depth as this. Watch
3: this. This is wild. How did all this happen? Well, I guess it began a few months ago. The class was great. The teacher was great. Everything was great. It was also wonderful back then. None of us, absolutely none of us, ever thought anything like this could happen. I always knew this was gonna happen. People are not always what they seem to be. It happened while our teacher was at a a teams rally.
1: That's usually where these things happen. He set himself up for temptation by going to that rally.
3: Rally? A rally is
4: the devil's playground.
3: When he left that team's rally and returned to our class the following Sunday, we could tell there was something different about him. He was different. So different. He tried real hard to conceal his transgressions. I marched right up to him before class and made him tell me exactly what had happened. Our teacher, he finally broke down and he confessed the matter to Fay, our class prayer leader, on the condition that she tell no one. I immediately notified everyone on the prayer chain after class. I was shocked to hear what our teacher said. You read about this happening in other classes, but you think it never could happen in your class to your teacher. At first I couldn't believe it. I said no. Not my teacher. He would never do something like that. But the very next week in front of everyone, he admitted it. There in the fellowship hall, without anyone around him to protect him and keep him accountable, our teacher decided to do something that would forever affect the way he is seen and esteemed by our class. He? He? He decided to change. Change? Change our class. I mean, you think you know somebody. Then this? We trusted him. We thought he was one of us. <laughs> The first change he wanted to make was to involve our class in faith.
4: As the class outreach leader for the past 13 years, I didn't know quite how to take that. Hmm. I stood right up to him and told him, if God wanted lost people in our class, they'd walk through the door.
3: I guess he didn't know our class as well as he thought, because no one in our class has the gift of evangelism. What the heck is wrong with keeping the class the way it is? We all know each other. I don't think he had a clue that this might attract new people. New people?
4: New people? One class I heard of got involved in faith, and they ran right out of chairs in their room. Where would I sit?
3: That same morning, he introduced another idea.
4: He didn't even have to say it. We knew
3: what was coming. And then he said it. Eventually, we'd have to split our class. He never used the word split, but he called it birthing a new class. Birthing?
4: A birthing? What is a birthing? Birthing! What is this? Some kind of free-love hippie cult?
3: This was definitely seen as heresy. Many in the class tore their robes and began to weep and pray. All of these changes were terrifying. But none of them were nearly as radical and devastating as what our teacher suggested next. A sudden, abrupt announcement that we needed to change rooms. That's when we realized our teacher was possessed by a demon.
2: Get
5: thee behind me, Satan! But I loved our room! I got saved in that room! But the piano's
3: in that room the reaction was swift frightful and involved many fast-moving handfuls of breakfast foods the teacher barely escaped with his life but none of us have seen him since i just wanted to make a few changes i never thought that it would end like this and now
5: we are back to normal our tuesday nights are free again nobody's birthing anything around here and our prayer times They're up to 45 minutes again. Surprisingly, we have seen very few new faces.
4: I'm teaching every weekend until we find us a suitable replacement. You know, someone who a total line.
3: Now that the scandal is over, it's good to have our class back to normal. Yep, we're back to normal. Just the way God intended us
4: to be.
6: I'm a big fan of the Bible. I mean, who wouldn't be? It's in most hotel chains. I have one, probably two. I know I have a non-reading one in our living room. It's beautiful. It's right underneath our plaque that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm such a fan. I became a fan of the Bible on Facebook. Big fan.
5: So um, how often do you read the Bible?
6: I'm a big fan. I think I have a pretty good grasp of the Bible and uh, how I teach it to my Sunday school class. Granted, I've been asked to step down a few times, but I mean, heresy is such a loose term these days. But I think if you put all the jigsaw pieces of the puzzle of the Bible together, I think I have a pretty good idea to teach anybody a little thing or two. Okay, so uh, share some of your knowledge with us. Okay, no problem on that one. Um, The Bible really doesn't get cooking until Moses built the ark, and... Wait, no, Um, no, he was the one that parted the Red Sea. He was also the one that wrestled with God in the river of Gabok. And if it wasn't for that, he wouldn't have been able to part that river too. But that was a foreshadowing. That was a prophecy for the New Testament when Luke would be in that river going, Hey, I thought I could walk on water. And that was a foreshadowing of King Nebuchadnezzar telling King David, Go get those people out of that water because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do not belong there. And that is how King James became the
0: greatest king of Israel. Yeah. And you wonder why the church doesn't grow. You may have people. <laughs> but your biblical knowledge is like this. Remember the stat? I don't know if you guys remember the stat because I know you got all these stats memorized. I always throw out at you. But uh, 93% of the American church is what's called biblically illiterate. Why? Because I think there's a lot of people so-called teaching the Bible, but they have no business being there. You know why? Because they didn't get the gift of teaching. And we laugh at this because it's so true. But you wonder why the spiritual growth of the church Uh, Stays uh, stunted the gift of teaching refers to anyone again, not just a pastor But a pastor does need to have this gift uh, who disciples a person one-on-one somebody who carries them from point a to b to c Systematically it's the ministry of leading someone along to understand systematically god's word through and through the early church We see this they met every day acts chapter 2. What were they doing every single day? Not just once a week Right, every single day they were sitting together, continuing to be taught under the apostles' doctrine. Systematically, was going on there teaching the word of God. Matthew twenty-eight. What do you hear me say? Oftentimes in prayer with our discipleship studies, what's the word disciple mean? Jesus said, "In the, all, all, go into all the world and make disciples." Methetes in the Greek. What's that mean? Disciplined learner. Learner of what? God's word. Well, how are you going to be a disciplined learner? Systematically, you've got to be taught by people who have been given supernaturally by the Spirit of God the gift of teaching. Okay. God gave the gift to Paul. Paul was a teacher. Paul also could not only preach, he could teach. Uh, oftentimes you see that there's multiple giftings, right? Paul actually in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1 he says, I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. So he uses an office there and a couple different gifts there. So you can see a combining that's used there. If you want to read, I'm running out of time, uh, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, you can see that uh, Timothy, right, they're called the pastorals. Timothy and Titus, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, right? Timothy had the gift of teaching. Why? Because he was a pastor. You've got to have the gift of teaching if you're a pastor, right? Uh, but it also says there, and do the work. not only preach the word in season and out of season, Paul said, but he says, do the work of an evangelist, right? So it's okay. Did you know that you could be a pastor and evangelist at the same time? right? So sometimes the gifts, they, they they spill over in that stuff. But Paul had the gift of teacher. Timothy had it. I would say Titus obviously had it as a young pastor. Barnabas, Barnabas had the gift. Apollos, remember him? Was skilled at teaching the Word of God. He had the gift. Okay, But basically, any elder, because a pastor is an elder, right, has to have the gift of teaching. And that's your big distinction between elders and deacons. Right? It's not that deacons couldn't teach. If you got the gift of teaching, that's fine. But one thing you have to have, if you're not just a pastor, a pastor is an elder. But if you're an elder in the church, you have to have the gift of teaching. You have no business being there. Again, that's the problem. People are put into positions of teaching, leadership, pastors, elders, and they do not have the gift of teaching, not just in Sunday school classes. I'm talking now from the pulpit. And I really think that by and large, what's happened to the church today, they are not doing a good job of interviewing candidates, people to be their pastors. I'm talking youth pastors. I'm talking any pastor, any elder, and sitting down with them and verifying that you have the gift of teaching. That's not the emphasis today. Have you noticed the emphasis in today? It's all about image. They don't want a pastor who has the gift of teaching who again, you can't be a pastor without the gift of teaching. They don't want somebody to systematically teach you the word of God so you can grow to become a disciple. They want somebody that looks like the world, acts like the world, uh, uh, has this image of the world. there's just some cool guy and he's just telling stories. He, he looks like Bono and, and then he can attract the crowd, right? That's what the church is doing. And then you, then that's supposed to be your pastor. And then you wonder why everything goes downhill from there. They have no business being there. You end up with pastors that look like this when you compromise on this gift. Let's take a look.
2: My husband and I are taking our first real vacation in six years, and I am so excited. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the students, but sometimes you just need a break, you know? So um, I'm really excited because Ignatius is going to cover my Wednesday nights for me. Ignatius is like the biggest name in student ministry. He's worked with the biggest speakers, biggest worship leaders, He's spoken to, like, a million kids.
3: He's like the Michael Phelps student ministry. I'm kind of old-fashioned, and I don't know much about him, but uh, he knows Becky, and he loves Jesus, and that's enough for me. So people ask
5: me, Ignatius, what does it take to be a great youth pastor? Well, my answer is always the same. Xbox 360, a copy of Rock Band, book deal, and... Uh, There's something else. Um, Yes, a moderately priced haircut. I get mine cut at Tony and Guy. uh, 70 bucks, plus highlights. Our ministry's called Flame, and it's based on some verse in the Bible about fire. You know, we want to see our kids on fire for God. I mean, in the middle of this godless culture, we want to drive a stake in the heart of it. I mean, we want our kids burning at the stake. I take my preparation very seriously. I'll spend two or three hours doing something that's called prayer lattes. Prayer lattes is when well, I get on an exercise ball, I'll have a latte, non-fat. It's like God's my trainer, and he's stretching my spiritual muscles as well as my physical muscles. Wow, who are my influences? Bono, of course. C.S. Lewis' Chronicles of Narnia films. They were great. I, first two are killer. I hope he writes another one.
2: Hi, I'm Kelly. Nice to meet you. Uh, This is Carl. He's
5: on our volunteer staff.
3: Hi. Becky told us so much about you.
5: All good, I hope. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about your group.
3: Well, we had a lock-in last weekend and six of our kids made a professional faith.
5: But yeah, we we
2: had 60. Uh, We're probably going to meet about 20 minutes before the service starts so that we can
5: pray. 20 minutes? You think it'll take that long?
6: and you probably want to spend some time with students.
5: Why would I want to
6: do
5: that? Hey, who's your daddy? Huh, who's your daddy? Did I hear someone say Ignatius? Alright, my name is Ignatius, and tonight we're going to talk about the God of the universe and how He loves each and every one of you with an unquenchable fire. But before we do that, did anybody bring their Bibles tonight? Alright, get them out. Let's get those Bibles out, put them up over your head. That's it. Alright, now repeat after me. Say, God's Word word is is living and active. It is powerful. It is is more more than I I can deal with with at this stage stage of my life. life. Good. Put them under your seat. You're not going to need them tonight. I mean, to think that there are kids that don't even know about the flame website is... Wow. But, um, yeah, I want to see them fired up, you know, and engulfed in flames. They are going to be smoldering. I'm going to burn them.
0: Yeah, you're going to burn them all, right? It's bad enough that that's the image that people look for with a youth pastor, but can I tell you, folks, from experience, that's what churches are looking for, a senior pastor. It's all about image. Who, who cares about gift of teaching? What's your image? What do you look like? We, we've talked about this before. What, this, our get-up here, this is so old-fashioned, this is turning people away. Now, the next stage from this, what they did was, they, they in the church, it was a pulpit, but it was made of plexiglass. You know why? Because it's transparent, and you need to pervade the message that you're open. Ugh. What's that got to do with the gift of teaching and bringing the Word of God? Systematically, right? I'm serious. I'm not making this up. I couldn't believe that one. And that was, what, 15 years ago? Oh, it's not even that. Now it's ditched the pulpit. You know what it is? You just have a, a little pedestal here. You put the Bible on. Maybe you open up. Maybe you don't. And you just sit there with a cup of coffee, a latte, and you just talk. You dress casual, and you just make people feel wonderful with a Tony and Guy haircut, okay, and uh, things of that nature. And you got to look snappy and dress apart, and don't wear a tie. This is going on in the church today, and you wonder why the church is suffering, because they're getting away from that. A pastor, and elder, must be evaluated on the basis of whether or not they can systematically teach the Word of God. If they can't, guess what? You ain't got the gift of teaching. You need to be out of there. But churches are not upholding the standard. The Bible actually gives a warning. James chapter 3, verse 1 says that basically not many of you should what? Want to be teachers. Why? Because you're going to be under a double judgment. God takes this serious. Don't compromise his standard. We only got time for one more. The next one there on the the list is the gift of encouraging. Okay, encouraging or uh, or exhortation, some translations. It's the Greek word parakaleo, kaleo call, para alongside, call alongside. It's actually used of the parakletas for the Holy Spirit, right? The one who comes alongside. Literally, what the word means, and we know this from the paraklete, the Holy Spirit, is a what? A comforter, one who comes alongside and what? Encourages you, comforts you, okay? Uh, They they, they strengthen people who are weak, who are going through hard times through trials. Do, Do you think that's a valuable gift? Yeah, is anybody suffering in this world? Do Christians have hard times? Everybody has hard times, but man, could you imagine somebody with this gift of encouragement and they come in to the people who are hurting and and, and are afflicted and are just down and they can come in and what they do is they exhort them in Freudianism. No, they don't. That's what a lot of people do. No, you exhort them in what? In the word of God, okay, is the point, right? And and again, you encourage, you strengthen, you advise, you comfort. uh, And some of that encouragement might be, hey, guess what? I love you enough to tell you the truth. You need to get out of sin, right? Sin hurts, sin harms, sin destroys. So if you see another, what's the scripture say? You who are spiritual need to restore a brethren who's what? In sin. Why? Because if they keep going down that route, payday's coming. You're going to get hurt. So somebody needs to love them enough to encourage them and exhort them, hey, get out of there. That's why things are going so bad. Get out of that sinful state, that sinful mindset. Get back to the Word of God. And encourage them, and, and bring that that comfort. It could be used to comfort them in times of trouble. Uh, again, when they're spiritually weak, uh, that th- that they are encourage them in the Word of God to get stronger. Trust the Lord. Walk by faith. God's going to work it out. Okay. Uh, some people comfort those who are in sorrow. Do do Christians sorrow? Yeah. The Scripture says we we grieve, and, and there's times when it hurts and. But but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. And isn't it great to have somebody who's supernaturally gifted? They always just have this knack to just speak God's word to you and bring that sense of hope and uplifting word from God's word, not just from yourself, not just, you know, the. don't worry, be happy. That doesn't help, right? It's from God's word. That's where the power comes from. Right? It's not some secular encouragement. Okay? One pastor said this. He says, listen, these folks are extremely valuable. Now, again, notice what's happening. The charismatic community abuses these gifts. Unfortunately, it's all about self. Mistake number one. Right? But now as we're taking these gifts and we're seeing what they are, how many of us are guilty, even the church, of downplaying these gifts? Remember the first one, gift of serving? What a fantastic gift. But people think, oh, I'm not a servant. Right? And so we mess that up and it hurts the church. Then we take the gift of teaching, which if you're gonna be a pastor of any kind or an elder, you have to have this gift. Or if you're gonna teach Sunday school and you ain't got this gift, get out of there. Right? But we have so downplayed it that we don't even look for that gift. It's all about image. So the church gets hurt. And so here we have have the gift of encouragement, and we think, that's no big deal. No, we live in a world of hurt. And this is a fantastic gift. Don't downplay this one. One guy says, he said they had some visitors that came in the line. They said, Pastor, we're not first-time visitors, but every once in a while we like to come and say hi to our pastor. And then he goes on to say that, you know, people, what they appreciate about the church is that the body encourages one another. Did you know that the idea, the church, the word means ecclesia, a group of called out ones. When we gather together as the church, the church is not a building, it's us. But when we gather together in this building that we call the sanctuary, that we're supposed to feel better from whence we came. Why? Because the gifts are in function, the legitimate gifts, biblically in function, and you got taught, you got served, you got encouraged. Whoa! Couldn't wait to get back and do it again. But see, it's not being done today, and people just go through the motions. And the church is suffering. But he talks about how these people, encouragers, man, they're valuable. Now, unfortunately, some churches, and I hear a lot of reports, a lot of visitors, we have a lot of visitors from around the United States and the world almost every week, it seems, and, and, and God gets the glory for all that. And that's, that's kind of cool. But one thing that they always say is like, and they say to me, so I'll say to you guys to be encouraged, <laughs> is they say, that is one of the warmest, friendly churches. Wish we had that. It seems like people really care for each other. Yeah, that's what the church is supposed to be. I'm not saying we're perfect. There is no perfect church. Because you know the axiom. If you find the perfect church, don't go there because what? You'll mess it up. Right? And so will I and everybody else, right? So I'm not saying we're not without our challenges. But by and large, we've been through a lot together as a family. We've been through all kinds of stuff. And we're growing together. And it's, things are going great. And, and it's, it's a good body. But not everybody has that. But then, have you ever been to one church? Or that church? that you'll never forget because, man, there was nobody that had the gift of encouragement. In fact, what they had was apparently the gift of discouragement. In fact, it started right when you met them at the door. Right? Like these guys. Watch this.
1: You know, Mark, I love when it's our turn to be the greeters. You know, Ryan, I love it too.
2: I tell my wife, I can't wait to greet. And when I do, it's my favorite Sunday of the month.
1: Welcoming people into the church, shaking their hands, just gotta love that feeling. feel the spirit moving within me. If Jesus was at this church, he'd be standing at these front doors greeting people just like this. Oh look,
2: here's our first customers, the Donaldsons. I just love them, and they've got two nice
1: kids. I just love seeing people like them coming in every Sunday. Those are the kind of people that make this church.
2: Morning. Good, morning, good morning family morning.
1: welcome welcome Thank you again good morning Hello. children good to see you again oh look someone else with the child whoa hold a second mark what's wrong with this picture whoa you're right Ryan a young single mom yep there's not even a ring on her finger We're gonna have to stop her. I'm sorry, ma'am. I am sorry madam can not let you in here. But this is a church. Shouldn't I be allowed in? You know, that whole single mother thing doesn't really work here. Maybe it's best if you would have gotten your
2: priorities set a little sooner, you know? And uh, why don't you come back in, uh, I don't know, a year or so when you've got a ring on your finger and a nice husband. Okay? Well, Ryan, I hate turning anybody away, but you're right. It had to be done. Check out this guy, Mark. Where does he think he's going? Ryan, he does not look like he makes enough money to be coming to this church.
1: If he comes in here, it's just going to be awkward for everyone else. I just don't know what to say to people who make less money than me. It's not hard to get a good job. He's probably just lazy. Hold it! Excuse me, sir. Did you just say something? Uh, yes, I said hold it. You're not gonna let me in? Well, sir, it's not that we're not going to let you in, but it'll just be uncomfortable for you, you know, around offering
2: time. People here have nice homes and nice jobs, they're well-dressed.
1: You're not in our class. Please move along.
2: This is crazy. This is church.
1: Well, you're right,
2: Ryan. That was a tough thing to do but people just wouldn't have accepted him here.
1: Yeah, we tough breeders have to make some tough decisions. Like this guy here, he's definitely not getting in. Yeah,
2: what is that? Is that a teenager? Nobody wants to sit next to a teenager.
1: Wait a second, buddy. Is there a problem?
2: As a matter of fact, there is a problem. How old are you? I'm 17, why? We don't really like teenagers here unless they have parents in the church.
1: They're too loud, they're noisy, they break things. Why don't you just get out? You guys are jerks. Geez, Mark. He was really mean. He didn't seem very accepting. He was very
2: unchristian. We wouldn't have wanted him here anyway. Oh, no.
1: What's wrong, Ryan? We got a divorced woman at 12 o'clock. This is so uncomfortable.
2: I never know how to handle this kind of thing.
1: What's going on? Well, madam you're divorced now, and I'm not sure if we're gonna let you in.
5: But I've been coming to this church for years.
2: Well, ma'am, since you've been coming here for a long time, I think we can make an exception. Uh, But I'll tell you what, um, why don't you sit on the far end of the sanctuary so it's not to disturb anybody?
1: Also, ma'am, we've instructed everyone not to talk to you. We believe that is a better solution for everyone.
6: This is
5: absurd.
2: Well, do you think we did the right thing in letting her in like that?
1: We're Christians. We have to be accepting. Plus, are not gonna talk to her anyway. I hope you're right, Ryan. So do I, Mark. So do I. Oh, no. Not again. Ah, <sighs> He's back! This guy tries to get in every week. And he's not married. He's a bum. He doesn't have a job.
2: He spends all his time hanging out with degenerate people. I find his behavior just unacceptable. Man, I don't even want to talk to him. Let's just shut the doors and get out of
3: here.
0: Ever been to one of those churches? Yeah. I told you about that one when I was, uh, <laughs> Brandon and I went to for three months, and no one even said hi to us, not even once. And it became a joke every week. It's like, and we started, well, look, maybe we should try a different deodorant. Uh, I know I brushed my teeth, and it, just, and it was absolutely amazing. I, I wish I could say that of all the churches I've ever pastored, I've never had to encounter this, but I've encountered it in every church, even when I first got here. I've encountered churches where people were deliberately uh, driven off because the church was growing so fast and people were getting tired of newcomers sitting in their seats. And I saw people on purpose deliberately be nasty in word and deed to people just to get them out of there just because they wanted their seat back. Pastor a, a, a church that uh, deliberately put up roadblocks because they did not want to accommodate for newcomers on purpose and admitted it to me. And you wonder why people don't want to come back. You wonder why even when we come, there's so much infighting and stuff. Is anybody glad that we went through that many years ago and hopefully got that out of our system? And again, not saying that we don't ever have, every church has got still some warts and bumps and stuff of that nature, but that's what's missing. The encouragement. The people who have the gift of encouragement. One guy says, hey, we got a guy like this on our church staff. His name is Herb. He says, uh, I don't care what goes wrong. This guy, he's got the gift of encouragement. He is on fire all the time. He encourages me. He says, in fact, uh, we were in our staff meeting. Everybody was come together, and we give a study at the beginning. And it was uh, Herb, he gave the study. And uh, he says, the whole time I just sat back there, and I, I had this silly grin on my face. So I entered that meeting with a heavy burden. I had a heavy concern. But the more that Herb went and he continued to talk and he continued to encourage from God's word, he said, I just, I just, I sat there full of God's joy. I forgot about my concern. I just had this, quote, stupid grin on my face for about 40 minutes. And I just sat there and I looked to the person next to me and said, isn't this marvelous? Isn't this wonderful? That somebody with the gift of encouragement is taking a heavy burden and through God's word is just, wow, lifting you up how many guys would say in our society today that's a valuable gift to to strengthen the weak to come along the faint hearted to give them courage to 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 Uh, To express God's joy in a sorrowful time, to give them comfort. Uh, Somebody needs to come up to you and says, cheer up. Be strong in the Lord. The power of His might. God is the victor. Quit being downhearted. Uh, Live on the victory. God's promised you the victory. Uh, Somebody that's in sorrow, they come up to you and say, hey, why are you sorrowing as those who have no hope? Our God is the God of hope. There's always hope. God's always on the throne. He's always on the throne. So there's always hope. He is a God of victory. Our sorrow will be turned one day into joy. God is on our side. To the faint-hearted, you need to remind them that God is the one who leads them, who wins in the end. No enemy is greater than God and we belong to God. We are his private possession. We're his children. We need to pull them up to a level of living listen into God's revelation in his word. And stop looking at our circumstances based on our understanding but what God has to say about it. And that's when things begin to turn around. These people have that supernatural gift. It's a fantastic gift. Okay, as well. Now, Lord willing, we're going to get into next time the gift of giving, then leadership and mercy. We're going to keep going down the list. But let me share with you a story of how the church is supposed to be. By way of it might start out good, but then it loses its purpose, including the purpose of the gifts. It goes like this. One, on a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks. Uh, they were frequent. Uh, they, a crude little life station was built there, though. And the building was just a hut, simple hut, and there was just one boat. But the few devoted crewmen kept a constant watch of the sea. With no thought of themselves, they went out day and night, tirelessly searching for any who might need help. Many lives were saved by their devoted efforts, and after a while, the station became famous. And some of those who, who were saved, as well as others in the surrounding area, they wanted to become a part of this great work they gave time and money for its support they new boats were bought additional crews were trained the station began to grow and and some of the members though they started to become unhappy that the the building was so crude and they felt that a larger, nicer place would be more appropriate as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. So the, so they replaced the emergency cots with hospital beds and they, they put in better furniture. They began to enlarge the building and, and soon the station became a popular gathering place for its members to discuss the work and visit with each other and they continued to remodel and decorate until the station more and more looked like and took on the character of a club and and then few members were interested in going out on life saving missions. So, so they hired professional crews to do the work on their behalf and, half, and the life-saving motif still prevailed on the club emblems and the stationery, and, and, and there was a, a liturgical lifeboat in the room where the club held its initiations, and and one day a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and, and the hired crews brought in many boatloads of cold and wet and half-drowned people, but... But they were dirty, they were bruised and sick, and, and some, they were black or, or yellow skin, and, and, and the beautiful new club got all terribly messed up. And so the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside where the shipwrecked victims could be cleaned up before coming inside. And at the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership, and most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities altogether as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. And, and then some members insisted on keeping, though, the life-saving as their primary purpose. And they pointed out that after all they were called to be a life-saving station but but those members were voted down and told that if they wanted to save lives they could go begin their own station down the coast somewhere else and, and then as years went by the new station gradually faced the same problems as the other one had experienced before it and so it too became a club and its life-saving work became less and less and then few members who remained dedicated uh, to life-saving uh, began another mission further down the coastline and and history continued to repeat itself and, and if you visit that coast today you're 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 going to find a number of exclusive clubs all along the shore. And you also see that shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters. But unfortunately, most of the people drown. That's the church today in America. We are so sidetracked. Why does God give the gifts? For the edification of the body. But we don't even understand the gifts. Or we downplay the gifts. Or we don't use the gifts. Or, after I said all that, here comes, with all due respect, the charismatic movement, and they abuse the gifts, and they turn the beautiful gifts, the gift of serving, the gift of teaching, to grow up to be a disciple, the gift of encouragement, man, in these hard times. What a gift to have. And they turn it inward. It's all about themselves. It's all about a show, and showing how spiritually Incredible they are. In fact, it's so apparent abuse of the gifts that even the lost recognize this. We're going to close after this. I'm going to share with you, as far as I know, this is not obviously a Christian, but they're making fun of these people, the charismatic community, who take the gifts and twist it into a personal show. Even they know something's wrong with that picture. Let's take a look at this. Yeah, that's way better than the gift of uh, uh, serving. You know, the, the church is going to thrive in these last days. We, we don't need this gift of teaching. We just, if the, oh, if we can just get everybody to do that. No, no, no. Who Forget that gift of encouragement thing. Man, that's some serious action. That'll bring the crowd in. How sad it is that we who do know the legitimate gifts, we either downplay them or we don't use them. And again, I'm not here just to poke People in the eye and start an argument. But then you throw this into the mix and elevate that. Man, no wonder things are as messed up as they are. Amen? Well, hi, this is Bill Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you'd go to heaven and not hell? Now, before you answer that, let me uh, share with you a couple of things that the Bible says. The Bible says that God is holy and that we are not. And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. We don't deserve to go to heaven when we die. We deserve to go down. We deserve to go to hell. Now to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this problem that we have, that we're separated from God not only now, but we're going to be separated from him for all eternity in a place called hell. We, we, we don't even want to admit that. So once again, out of love, God gives us what's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were God's x-ray, if you will, divine x-ray to, to get us to admit the problem that we have inside that's separating us from Him. Let, let, let's take a look at a few of those of God's divine x-ray. For instance, if you think that you're worthy on your own, you don't need a Savior, uh, you're going to get to heaven all by yourself, then let's take a look at God's test there. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. Uh, how many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, you just told one. But folks, we've all done that. That makes us a liar. The Ten Commandments, God's x-ray, showing us that we have sin that's separating us from Him. We're not holy and perfect like Him. The Fifth Commandment says this, you shall not steal. Don't ever once take anything without permission. How many of you have ever done that? Well, if we're not going to tell another lie, we, we should all admit that as well. Well, that makes us a thief now. The Bible says that God is so holy, uh, even His name is holy. And that's why the Ten Commandments says you shall not Use the Lord's name in vain. And if we're honest, again, folks, hey, a lot of us, how many of us have used the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the only name the Bible says under heaven, that men might be saved? We've now turned it into a common cuss word, if you can believe that. The Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says, hey, show, you want to show God you're so perfect, you have no sin? Then don't ever once commit adultery. And you might say, well, I, I've never done that, really? Jesus lays the standard before us. God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside. Jesus said, if you ever looked with lust in your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's His holy standard. One more. The Bible says, okay, you think you're so good? Uh, Then don't ever once commit murder. You shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible again says that the sin of hatred, wishing someone was uh, dead, is akin to the sin of murder. It's just, if you will, you pull the trigger in your heart so 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 how are you doing that's just five out of ten of god's divine x-ray by the way uh showing us the problem how are you doing not if but when your time comes we're all going to stand before god you'll be forced to admit what he already knows hey god let me in let me in i'm i'm a a liar i'm a i'm a thief i'm a a a blasphemer an adulterer and a murderer and the bible is clear such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven you're not headed to heaven In that state you're headed to hell but here's the good news god said if we would just admit this number one then he could fix it and it gets fixed only one way and that's through jesus christ jesus said in the book of john chapter 14 verse 6 he says i am the way the life and the truth and nobody comes to the father but by me why because only jesus lived the perfect life in our place and jesus died on the cross he took the death penalty in our place so that we could be set free And since we weren't there and since it's a gift and we can't earn it, we have to receive that wonderful gift by faith. And the Bible says God will pardon us for our crimes, our sins against him. And you can actually see this analogy working uh, in the natural, in the normal world. Uh, We see this actually uh, in the courtroom. For instance, if a person is guilty and, and everybody knows they're guilty, they've committed a horrible crime and and, and the, the sentence has passed, the judge has knocked down the gavel and says, hey, uh, you are going to jail, you are going to the death penalty for that crime. And, and we know that people, that happens all the time, and they go to jail. But believe it or not, did you know there's a way for that person, even though they're guilty, to actually be set free from that crime? It's called a pardon. And the one in authority, the governor, has the part out of mercy, out of goodness, certainly nothing that that person did in jail. They can't undo the crime. It's too late. But out of mercy, the governor could go down there and grant that person in jail a full pardon for their crimes. And by receiving that pardon, the doors come open and they are set free and they're rescued from the death penalty. Folks, that's what God is doing every single day with us spiritually. He has allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the death penalty in our place. He's pardoned us, but a pardon does you no good unless you reach out. And receive it. And it's actually been on historical record that there have been people on death row who a governor has gone down out of mercy and extended to them a full pardon, but they've rejected it. And by their own doing, they went to the death penalty. Folks, don't make that same mistake for all eternity. God loves you, He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, all of it, even the sins we don't even know about. He wants to pardon you. And forgive you but you must receive that by faith today the bible says if you believe in the lord jesus christ if you call upon his name ask him to forgive you of all your sins believe in your heart that god raised him from the grave you will be saved please do that now please do that today because tomorrow may be too late well this has been billy Crone of get a life ministries again thank you for joining us if there's anything that you need if you have any questions please don't hesitate to contact us. Our information and number and uh, things will uh, pop up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.